I hope you noticed that the very first reading and the gospel, and this is usually the case, but in this case, it's, they're very, it's very clear. It's, they're very similar, very similar stories. Basically, the theme is that Isaiah and Matthew were outlining salvation history, what was going to happen. I'm not going to concentrate on those. I'm going to touch on the gospel, but I want to focus on that reading from St. Paul to the Philippians. That is the second reading. Because I, in my opinion, it's a pearl of great price. Now, <clears throat> it starts out with Paul saying, basically, have no anxiety. Have no stress. And some of you might be saying, oh, that's easy for you to say. I mean, it's, you know my situation in my life. You have to put up with what I got to put up with. That's why I'm stressed out. Well, I ask the question, where does anxiety and stress come from? What's its origin? Some of you are saying, well, you know, my circumstances, my situation, my boss, people I have to work with, people who hate me, people who are out to get me. Those of you who are thinking that, I have to tell you, that's not where anxiety and stress come from. And I think that's what St. Paul's trying to get across to us. Where does it come from? It's in your mind. Now, if you've been, any of you who are like in a Bible study or study have been following here closely the readings over the last month, you've heard St. Paul said, say certain things, which it kind of culminates in this particular reading. Remember he said a few weeks ago? Do not conform yourselves to this world. Transform your minds. And imitate Christ. Transform your mind. It's, not, it's nice to know what the background. See, Paul, well, Put it this way. Would you be stressed out if I said to you, oh, by the way, I need to tell you, sir, that um, tomorrow we're going to cut your head off. But you're going to sit in a dank cell for the next, for the day and tomorrow. Okay? But don't be stressed. Of course you're going to be stressed, right? Paul is writing these words from jail. That's his situation. He's like, what people say? Death row. Now, if you're in that situation, then I say, write something. Give us your final words. What would you say? He'd write, ah! <laughs> That's what Paul's doing. He also said this a few weeks ago. He said, and that's just what he was writing. He wrote, he said, For me, death 
Because he was facing death. He wasn't sure at the time, but he was. He was facing death. And he said, for me, death is gain. Is that what you think? He says, what does he mean by that? He says, to me, I'll say what, the, what uh, St. Baquita said. She goes, love awaits me. St. Paul saying, I want to be with Christ. I've run the race. He said that too. But he says, I'm a bit concerned right now because I, I would rather be in the flesh with you. Because I can, I, can, I can continue to help you. So he says, I'm torn. He's not afraid of death. Why? Because he, he's practiced what he preached. He has allowed Christ to transform his mind. Now, the prayer, the confidio that we say at Mass, it mentions the, the things that we can control. And it also mentions where we sin. And confess to Almighty God. What do we say? Because I have sinned where? In my thoughts. Right? We, we all confessed that earlier. By the way, by the way, that you're supposed to confess your venial sins then. Because no one is, should come up for communion if you have even a venial sin on your soul. Right? So, so that's a purification rite. In my thoughts. That's where most of our sins come from. That's where our anxiety comes from. And so, he says, if some of you are following along in the reading here, if you have a miscellane, he brings up about prayer. Now, I'm not going to explain this, but I'm just going to put this out for you to think about. There's a difference between saying prayers and praying. I think that what I'm going to ask for us to respond to that reading, you may not think of it this way, but it is prayer. And he said, pray, bring your petitions before God. What's underneath there is he's basically saying, Make sure you keep a relationship with God. There is no relationship in this world that will ever, in this world and the next, be more important than the relationship you have with God. By far. That's the supreme, supreme relationship. Because one day, everything else is going to be gone. And most of what you're doing now is going to be very unimportant. You'll be forgotten. But a relationship with God. He says, bring your petitions. So that keeps, when he, when he says that, he says, bring your petitions to God. He has to say that because I know a lot of people, especially men who ruin their lives because they don't ask God for help. That's another story. So he says, bring your petitions in prayer. And he says, in thanksgiving. If you don't know what to pray about, think about something you're thankful for. I'm going to quote somebody I heard recently. They said, you know, there are over a thousand things to be thankful for. Isn't there? That's a low number. 
So you want to know, I don't know how to pray here. Think about Thanksgiving. Something you're thankful for. I used to give out in confession, right around Thanksgiving. I say, for your penance, give thanks for two things to God. And they go, oh, yeah, I can do that. I said, well, there's, but there's a condition. Have it be two things that you have never, ever in your life thanked God for. See, that's a long list. That's the challenge. Okay, so that's, that's there. Then, then he gets to what do we do? How do we do this? How do we transform our minds? Okay, so I'm going to pretend that we're in a retreat. Okay, and then this is, and I'm speaking to you. I'm your retreat master. And I'm going to do an exercise here. Okay, so I want all the adults to count off, starting over here. One, 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 okay, one, two, three, five, seven. That's it. We'll stop at eight. Okay. Reason we stop at eight? Because Paul just gave us eight things that he wants us to think about. Okay. He does it poetically. He says, he lists those things and he says, think about these things. Put your minds, think more about these things. What's the first one? All that is true. So my assignment to number one, I want you to write a little story about something, maybe an experience in your life that was true. I'll, I'll say what I, because I went through some of these and did some of these. And I wrote that. This is, I came up with a quote that I think is true, very true, very important. And this is it. Each of us is what we are because of the dominating thoughts we permit to occupy our minds. I'll say it in more uh, concrete terms. When I was visiting a uh, homeless shelter one time, there was a guy there who, you know, he gave me these words. And I'll use them here too. He says, you know how I got to where I am at now? I'm trying to get out of this hole. Because of my stinking thinking. So I'm saying, stop that stinking thinking. Why do you think the guys in the first story, the vine grower, and those wicked people in the gospel, why did they do that? Your answer is stinking thinking. You must have custody over your thoughts. And William James said this. He says, one of the great things about human nature, we have the power within us, all of us, to take a thought and change it. Or as you've heard it in the song, take a sad song, make it better. That's really what's going on here. Learn to do that as a discipline. Think of something that is true. Number two, write something about something that you that you noticed in your life, perhaps. You saw somebody else who say, and you would say, "Man, that was an honorable thing that they did." 
It was honorable. Full of honor. An honorable act. And hopefully, after you read this story, do an honorable act. Number three, justice. Remember, all these are what Paul says, think about these things. He loans from experience. These are his last words. They're going to cut his head off in a few days. Number three, write something about an, in, an incident that you would say, wow, that was poetic justice. Just think about it. Write about it. Number four, think about something that is pure. Something that is pure, flawless, unpoisoned, genuine. Who would that be? Maybe you know somebody like that. Number five, lovely. Think about something that is lovely, something that is beautiful. I thought about this artwork back here. That's beautiful. Talk about that. So number five, write about something that's lovely. One that came to mind was I was at priest days one day. Uh, and we were sitting around, a bunch of priests were there. And uh, I, was, I was there in a table. And I noticed that the priests were, were talking, were kind of complaining about stuff. Started to get kind of negative. And there was a priest that was across the table from me. And when there was a pause in the complaints, he said, wow, look at those. Aren't those flowers beautiful? Like a center. Somebody put a centerpiece. Beautiful, some beautiful flowers. It's no accident that this priest, I had considered, and I have, is uh, uh, a very holy man. He did it probably without even thinking. We need more people like that. And I felt like a worm. I thought, he didn't correct me. He, was, he just brought a thought there and said, hey, you guys, notice these flowers. Aren't they beautiful? And there was like a, a silence <laughs> among the priests. Okay. So that was great. He noticed something lovely. Point out something beautiful. What is lovely? Number six, write about something that is gracious. Now, uh, in the Greek that uh, Paul was writing in, the word uh, Greek for, for, for gracious is eleamon, which is some, or which to help those, uh, the, the person writing. Uh, when did you witness somebody being really polite? That's my definition. Kind. Somebody who was kind. Someone was courteous to you. Someone was considerate. Another definition in the Greek is ladylike. It's a great tribute to all women. But if you look at the last three, pure, lovely, gracious. Isn't that the Blessed Mother? Yeah. Think about her. Think about her life. Number seven. Think about something you would say, my, that was excellent. 
excellent. And while you're writing about that, perhaps you could add how much sacrifice it took to get to that excellence. There's a sacrifice to make something excellent. Perfect. Number eight, write about an event that was worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. You know that we want to recall these numbers. This is Philippians chapter 4, toward the end of Philippians. It's a good exercise to have. Because one of the benefits, when you begin to transform your mind, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. You've got to begin to make it a habit. What will be, what will you get? And he tells you at the end what's going to, what's going to happen if you begin to do this. If all of us, every day, practice these. Especially when you see people going the wrong way. Like that priest said, isn't that lovely? Change the subject. Something worthy of praise. If I could put it another way, for those of you who uh, uh, like quotes, what uh, and Paul's kind of trying to tell us, tell us to do is instead of instead of living your life waiting for the storm to pass, because some of us are saying, "Oh man, this is terrible. I, I, I'd be glad when this is over." And this is the real Catholic thing. Because we Catholics know something which is called redemptive suffering. Again, that's another subject. Very important. Instead of waiting for the storm to pass, learn how to dance in the rain. In a sense, that's what he's doing. Change your thoughts. That's why you don't have peace. You're allowing all these negative thoughts in there. Because there's a lot of negative people out there. Why are they negative? I remember that somebody asked me at a, at a conference one time, this priest sitting with me, we just got a new prayer. He says, why are, there, why are so many people well, complaining all the time and negative? And I don't know why, but all of a sudden what came out of my mouth is, because they're hurting. Because they're hurting. So we need to deal with that hurt. Okay? They need to, tr- to transform their, their minds as well. The very end of the gospel, What does Jesus say? This also fits in with the theme. The stone that the builders rejected. People talk about, how negative is that to be rejected? He's saying, okay. The stones that builders rejected, you know the rest, have become the cornerstone. Let me put it another way. In your mind, try to find the good Every bad situation. Another way to put that. Every adversity that comes into your life brings with it the seed of an equivalent advantage. I want to end by repeating that. Every adversity brings with it the seed of an equivalent advantage. Advantage. 